Hey man, what does the word neuro mean? Do you know? The root of it is based on the nervous system. Oh, okay. So you say neuro, like neuroscience. It's a science of the nervous system. Actually, what I say is neuro gum, and I say neuro mints because they are a proud <laughs> partner and sponsor of the I Needed That podcast. They put a lot of good stuff into neuro gum and neuro mints. Give me some of your favorites. Caffeine, theanine, B vitamins. The combination of those three is it's a bit of a trifecta when it comes to energy, focus, and clarity. So it's funny because when I first started with Neuro, I fell in love with the cinnamon gum. I know. And you kept talking about the mints. <laughs> the mints are the best. It's true. So I started using the mints and now I love them. They're so good. They are so good. And all you need to do is hit that sponsor link, which is in our show notes, tryneurogum.com slash I needed that to enjoy calm, clarity, and focus whenever you need it. I want to mention that our podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. They've been with our podcast since pretty much the very beginning. And that's because mental health is really important to you and me. It's huge. And it's been a game changer for me and my journey of transformation. It's 100% <laughs> online to get started. You just answer a couple of quick questions about yourself, your preferences in therapy, and then you schedule with somebody and it's all the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from an in-office therapy, but you get somebody who's custom picked for you. So please enjoy 10% off your first month. Go to betterhelp.com slash I needed that. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash I needed that. We've also got the link in our show notes. Before we get to the podcast, what is, if you can probably, if you can land on one thing, what was the one thing you got from talking it out that helped you so much? I didn't have the ability to identify exactly what was happening until she put it into clinical words mm. and everything took shape from there. She was the one who helped me identify that I have an anxiety disorder. Right. And the moment she said it, I could do something about it. Yes, buddy. And I love it. That was the beginning of my journey out of the dark place that I was in. Enjoy 10% off. Go to better. H-E-L-P.com slash I needed that. You'll also find the link in the show notes. Let's get to today's podcast. What's up, Chris Powell? How you feeling today? I'm good, my friend. How yeah. you doing, Matthew Blaze? It is vacation light uh, on this episode of I Needed That. And so today on our podcast, number one, welcome. Number two, uh, we're going to take a walk down memory lane a little bit today. Yeah. I mean, because we are 20, what, 28 episodes, episodes in? in? Yeah. And it's summertime and I kind of feel like, you know, quality of life. We can take a break too, right? It's time for a vacation. It's time for a vacation. We both need it so bad. Yeah. And so we wanted to take a look back because, you know, the way people consume podcasts is they really just jump in on the latest episode and then they kind of start from there. Right. But we've had some incredible episodes and one of them that got both of our attention was early on, episode number six, a guy named Dr. Robert Todd Hurst. He's a cardiologist. And the reason he goes to work every day is because he has seen and read the research that says that more than 90% of what kills us is preventable. Right. And so he goes to work on that. And we had him on our podcast specifically to talk about weight loss. Yeah. And, and the thing is, okay, first of all, Dr. Hurst, he's a, a wealth of information and it was a brilliant conversation from the get-go. And I know he and I, we see eye to eye on a lot of things, but then 
he did bring up something. That, I remember <laughs> that all of a sudden you saw me. You saw me squirming, squirming as, he, yeah, as yeah. he started talking about it, and I just I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I had to I had to question him on it because it just didn't make sense with everything that I've known in my life to be true. And then we had a really good discussion about it. Yeah. And it boiled down to the big problem, which in his eyes is insulin resistance. Yes. Yes. Which is a very real problem. And then, and at at the same time, of course I had a lot of questions for that and he elaborated and he helped change my mindset on a lot of it. So I'm no, it was, it was a great conversation. Well, here it is. Here's a little bit of our conversation with Dr. Robert Todd Hurst on the, I needed that podcast. I believe you, you were interviewing uh, a woman who was kind of in this space and you say calorie restriction sounds good, but it works in the short run, fails in the long run, more than 90% of the time. Okay. So I see a stat like that. I'm like, I want to ask my fitness guru buddy here, Chris Powell, like, what is, what does he think of that? Do you, do you think calorie restriction sounds good, works in the short run, but fails 90% of the time? Well, okay. So I'm, I'm going to come at this just, just from my education and my background is, is that, you know, we all abide by the laws of thermodynamics. And so there must be a deficit in order to, to create weight loss. So we, they have to create a deficit. Um, I have actually experienced in, in my own personal experience and also just through my education is like, it depends on the restriction that people are doing. Because the thing is, it's like physio, physiologically and physically you can create, you, you must create weight loss from a calorie deficit, but behaviorally you create a deficit. It's going to cause hunger and cravings. Right. And so it's like, what kind of deficit, what kind of restriction? And then everybody is different. So psychologically, some people you might, you know, you might be able to prescribe a certain kind of diet for them and they can adhere to it. But that's a very small percentage of people. You create a you know, restriction for other people and it becomes an all out eating disorder or causes extremely disordered eating. And so it's like, it's such an individualized approach. I do believe, and, and doc, maybe you can, sh- you shed some light on this, but I do. Believe, he's here, man. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is good. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's have it, you know, you know, back and forth, yeah, on back this. and forth. Let's hit the ball back and forth. But I do believe a, a deficit is absolutely mandatory. And that's the laws of thermodynamics. Like can't ex- escape that, but it's like, how do we create that deficit and how to, you know, to prevent or at least stave off hunger and cravings as much as possible and not create an eating disorder or disordered eating in the process. And then of course, also what kind of foods should we be choosing to, to lead them toward a healthier quality of life, especially when it comes to heart health? Yeah, well, one, I agree 100% with you. And if I, you know, got up here and started to argue the first law of thermodynamics being wrong. That would be probably <laughs> off to a bad start. But, you know, I, 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 I guess, what, you know, the, the calories in, calories out or the, you know, all you have to do is eat less, move more. I think that's the part that I think is, is leading people down the wrong path. You're absolutely right. There needs to be a deficit uh, to, to be able to achieve weight loss, but it's the details and the personalization that is often missed in this. Like, you know, it's, it's, I I think about this analogy, like if you, you know, somebody said, okay, Chris, how, how do I get rich? You know, how do I, I, I get, you know, financially well off? And you could say, well, I, you know, the best way to do it is to make more money than you spend. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's true, right. But not very helpful. And I think that's where a lot of people get off base with this. Oh, well, all I need to do is eat less and move more. There's a lot more to it and a lot more individual aspects to it. And, and so, 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the story that, that uh, really opened my eyes to this, because when I was in training, so realize I had four years of medical school, three years of internal medicine residency, four years of cardiology fellowship. Like I was an old man by the time I finished <laughs> my training. I received no training in weight loss, really in behavior change, almost none. And, and that's because I was paid, my institution was paid, Mayo Clinic was paid, Banner is paid for take, taking care of sick people. It, 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 it's, we, we just don't learn much about those things. But I had a patient, a lovely lady. She was, uh, you know, about four foot 11 and about 200 pounds, like the cutest thing you could ever imagine but crazy high blood pressure. Like she just kept coming. I had her on like seven different blood pressure medications. We couldn't figure it out. She, you know, she couldn't lose weight. She couldn't exercise. She couldn't eat better. Like nothing was working until I finally realized she had sleep apnea. And, and uh, I realized it by walking into the exam room and she was snoring so loud you could hear her all the way down the hallway. Wow. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe you have sleep apnea. That once we treated her sleep, sleep apnea, well, she got rest and then she felt better and then she started exercising huh. and then she started eating better and then she lost <laughs> the weight and then she got down to one blood pressure medication in the end. And so for her telling her over and over, eat less, move more, eat less, move more, didn't address the issue that was her problem, which was her sleep was terrible. All right, Doc, we just became best friends because I, I, okay, I love this, man. We're on the same page and I love where you're going here because, um, you're spot on. I mean, the whole industry is, is screaming, eat less, exercise more, but you just found a variable. It's like, okay, there's nutrition, there's exercise. Everybody's focused on this, but what about sleep? What about stress? What about social health and your deep, meaningful relationships with others? How does that also impact? Because I'm in this thought process and I know Matthew's on the same page with me and I'm picking up a vibe here. But tell me, like, it's a holistic approach. You can't just go after one thing and say, oh, we're just it's kind of like, oh, just put a Band-Aid on the problem. Oh, it's just diet and exercise. No, it's all these other things that affect your quality of life. It's mental health. It's social health and it's physical health. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, that's the, the kind of the, the, the epiphany that I finally had is that, you know, if we're going to change the things that really predict health and, and those are pretty straightforward, like it's high blood pressure, it's cholesterol, it's blood sugar and it's weight. It, those four things like those are the things if you get those four things right, you're going to live a long time and have a very low risk of heart disease and stroke and cancer and dementia and fatty liver and AFib and all those things that are epidemic right now. How do you change those four things, though? Like medications are, are part of this, like if for some people. But where you start is nutrition, physical activity, sleep, stress, toxins. You know, uh, a lot of people are held back by the toxins, whether it's excess alcohol, whether it's tobacco, whether it's the toxins of social media and the news media and Netflix and, and those things, or, and, and then that connection, that social connection, that connection to purpose, you know, those are the, those are the tools that we use to move the things that make the difference in our health and, and our longevity. I was just going to have you reiterate what those four things again, the four things that we really need to watch out for. You so, so these are the, so, okay, I, I'll take a step back. So, so the biggest problem in healthcare, I, I don't even think it's arguably like, I, I don't know what else it would be is metabolic disease. Doctors call it cardiometabolic disease. 
Nobody knows what that means, right? But what everybody knows is what is what what the details are about cardiometabolic disease. So that is high blood pressure. So that's about 46% of adults in the United States have high blood pressure. Uh, unhealthy cholesterol levels. So that can be high LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol that we always talk about. But more commonly these days, it's high triglycerides, low HDL being an indication that the cholesterol is unhealthy. Number three is blood sugar. Now, I I think even bigger uh, factor in this is insulin resistance. Because there's a lot of people out there that have normal blood sugars, but they are generating so much insulin to be able to keep those blood sugars normal that they can't lose weight. Like, you know, they could... They could see Chris and Chris could live with them for 18 hours a day. But if they're in and, 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 you know, get them eating right and exercising and that's going to help. Like that's amazingly beneficial. But if their insulin levels are sky high all the time, like if they're they're injecting insulin, they're, they're not going to lose weight. Like that's just right. not the, the you know, that's just the way the physiology is. And then the, the last one uh, is weight, you know, body weight. But, you know, even body weight is really uh, – there's, there's details to that. There's a personalization. Like, you know, I look at Chris, like, I, man, I would kill to have the muscles that Chris <laughs> has, you know. Uh, but my guess is, is his body mass index is in, it would be deemed overweight in a, you know, in a research study. But he's not right. overweight. He has nothing. There's nothing about him that is overweight. And so it's not just, you know, your weight. It's also what with the fat, the body fat percentage of the composition. And then even more detailed, where is the fat? Like, is it visceral fat? Is it abdominal fat? That's the stuff that is really indicating high risk. When you guys are talking about insulin resistance, can you dumb that down a little bit for me and maybe a few <laughs> other folks who felt like that kind of went above our head? Uh, who's impacted by insulin resistance? Um, am I, am I, is it stupid of me to be like, is that di- a diabetic problem? Like, I just don't know enough about it. And when I hear insulin, I go there. And so I'm wondering if you guys can scale that down a little bit for us who's impacted by insulin resistance yeah we'll ask the doc yeah yeah so this this is i i I completely agree i mean i think this is one of the limitations or the challenges of the you know helping people get healthier is that we have so many terms for things that are difficult and challenging to understand you know it can be insulin resistance pre-diabetes metabolic syndrome syndrome x like we have all of these things, and, and, and even among doctors, they, they're, they all these terms get thrown around fairly loosely. But insulin resistance is really, uh, at baseline, the biggest driver for high blood pressure, for unhealthy weight, and for unhealthy cholesterol. And uh, it depends on how you define insulin resistance, but... One of the more recent studies that looked at a big population of of people in the United States, they've been, you know, doing these studies for 30 years now, looking at uh, populations, it's called NHANES. And they looked at those five uh, criteria that we use for metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance. And that is, uh, you know, normal body weight, normal blood pressure, normal blood sugar, normal cholesterol levels. uh, And, um, now I'm blanking on the last one. What did I say? Cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugar. And uh, weight. And weight. Oh, abdominal weight. Yeah, yeah. abdominal uh, <laughs> circumference, obesity right. in the abdomen. How? What percentage of the United States didn't have at least one of those uh, factors for uh, unhealthy metabolism? 
And it was 6.5%. Holy smokes. 93.5% of us as adults have at least one sign of an unhealthy metabolism. And almost all of them are going to have insulin resistance. It's in, and you know, it's not better in the younger populations. Like what's even more frightening. I have, I have three, you know, younger or younger adult children the, the numbers are 78% of adolescents have, uh, you know, a sign of unhealthy metabolism as well. So wow. insulin resistance, wow. let's like, see if we can make this really simple. So insulin resistance is a normal body mechanism to protect our cells from having too much energy. So they, the, the, the simplest way to look at this is that when we're overfed, when we have too much uh, calories coming in, or we have calories that are particularly spiking insulin levels, like highly processed foods, high sugar added, refined grains, those kind of things. Our, our body responds to those the, those energy intake by putting out insulin. But once our cells, particularly our muscle cells, because they're the primary sink for taking in our energy, uh, once those cells are full of energy. They got to shut things down. They got to say, okay, I don't need any more energy in here because if I do, I'm going to get toxic. And so they stop responding to the insulin. They, they just, the insulin comes and says, take more glucose in, into your cell. But the cell says, okay, I'm done. I can't, I can't take any more. What does the body respond with? Well, the sugar goes up, more insulin comes. And as that insulin level rises, that is uh, insulin resistance, and then that's going to lead to fat accumulation. Uh, it's going to lead to higher blood pressure. It's going to lead to unhealthy cholesterol. All of those things that we know are the primary drivers for heart disease, for cancer, for dementia, for stroke, things that we are most concerned about uh, if, we're con- if we're wanting to live a long, healthy life. So am I to hear you guys correct that maybe one of the first stops for anybody that's trying to lose weight and get healthy needs to be to look at their insulin levels and needs to figure out kind of where their metabolism lies. Like that should almost be stop number one for folks. In my experience, that has been a incredibly effective approach is to, is to number one. I mean, if I'm, if I'm ever dealing with anyone who is type two diabetic, pre-diabetic, et cetera, I will always send them to their physician first so that they can actually get a, a quick I, and, you know, it, um, I'm trying to choose my words wisely here, but like um, to be able to solve the problem in the short term, which would be metformin or some sort of medical solution while we can work on a longer term solution. So this is where, I, where I, I think there's a wonderful relationship between allopathic medicine and then, of course, like there's a long term preventative approach because like, Hey man, if your blood sugar levels are, are crazy high right now, before you do a ton of damage and start, you know, like damaging your capillaries, losing your eyesight, et cetera, get on some medication so that you can actually get some of that sugar into the cells because right now it doesn't want, they, they don't want to unlock and let it in because of everything that's going on. But then let's, let's start working on some other um, solutions here, like movement, because movement is going to clear a lot of the sugar out of the cells so that the cells can open up and actually draw the draw the sugar in, which would then clear the insulin out of, out of the bloodstream. So doc, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, um, that's, that's, it's like, that's why I love to work with the doctors so they can, they can actually prescribe the medication necessary while 
I'm working on a longer term solution, which would then be movement. Then it, it could also be perhaps for those individuals, a lower carbohydrate diet, even in the short term or whatever works best for them so that we can get that under control. And then once we actually have insulin sensitivity, well, now we're off to the races again and we can start really start working on some other solutions. Sounds like you agree with that, Todd. Absolutely. Like, you know, I, I, I'll just first put this part in exercise is the most powerful tool we have for improving metabolic health, for treating insulin resistance uh, and for living a long, healthy life. Like if your muscles are happy, then you are going to be healthy. Like, I, I think that I, we, we, always, we prioritize our brain, of course, we prioritize our heart. We want our liver to be healthy. But Really, your muscles, like getting them to optimize, you know, optimal health, that's going to make you optimally uh, healthy as well. But I'll say I'll tell you that the thing about insulin resistance, I I think, is, is, yes, medications can be the jumpstart for people like they can get them off of zero, get them some quicker results, help start treating the problem. uh, and, And I think that's where their role is. But I, I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of times medicines get used as a as as the destination, you know, like, OK, here, take this medicine and you're on it for the rest of your life uh, because you're not going to do the things that you need to do to get off of it. I, I think that's that's deceptive. I, I think that we're not giving people credit for their ability to change or getting them to people like Chris who can help them craft a program for them that gets them moving, eating better, you know, doing all the things that they need to do. And, you know, for me, the insulin resistance uh, concept for has been the most helpful in explaining to people what they need to do to get their health goals. Um, I, I can't tell you how often before I had this, you know, revelation that I would see patients and they'd be like, I, I, you know, I eat well, I, I, I spend hours on the treadmill every day and I just can't lose weight. I, and I don't know why. And I was perplexed as well. I'd say, yeah, m- me too. I, I don't know what the issue is. Like I, I hear this all day long from my patients. It, 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 if it makes you feel any better, everybody's got it, but I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Once I realized that insulin resistance is so commonly the underlying driver here, then I could uh, then people could start understanding, OK, well, it's not just about, you know, eating a low amount of calories. It's the quality of those calories. Timing of those calories can be really important as well. And then when it comes to physical activity, just walking on the treadmill all day may not be what you need. Maybe you need and almost certainly you do strength training. Maybe you need to address your stress. Maybe you need to address your sleep crafting that around insulin resistance, it helps people frame, okay, now I understand how this multifactorial approach can help me get to where I want to go. And once everything starts working together, oh my gosh, it's, it's magic. Like it's the most exciting thing for them and for me. We both talk about it all the time. When folks are able to figure out why something has been happening, oftentimes they're so empowered to just keep that thing moving. That's, you know, that's the one thing is I, I, I truly believe education is one of those things that can really help drive behavior modification because people, 
as, as much as a lot of us just want to tell them what to do, and sometimes people would just want to be told what to do, I think the majority of people, if they understand how and why, it will truly alter their behavior. If they understand what's happening on the inside. I do need to bring this up, and again, Doc, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to pulling research articles. I live on PubMed, uh, Google Scholar, and everything, and so I was looking up um, training for insulin resistance and, and for, um, for diabetics. And they've actually found, so if you, if you focus on resistance training, what happens, what happens when you start a muscle contraction and after, you know, eight, 10, 12 reps, if it's a decent intensity, you start to build up, there's a sensation in the muscle, right? Starts to burn a little bit. What does that burn? Well, it's going to be, it's glycogen being split. And then there's metabolic waste products, which would be like lactic acid, right? So you start to feel the pH of the muscle drop. Lactic acid starts to build up. But the beauty of it was what I just said before. You start to burn through the glycogen, which is stored glucose, which is sugar in the muscle. And when you create, when you burn through that sugar in the muscle, your muscles, all of our muscles are just tanks for sugar, right? So our muscles can, can hold 500 or so grams of sugar. Your liver might hold 80 to 100 grams of sugar, right? So that, those are our sugar stores. And the doc said earlier today, he said, well, it's already full of sugar, and so that's why you build up insulin resistance because you keep eating more sugar. The, the cells are full. The room, the, everyone's in the, in the room. They're having a party. You get, and all these people are in the hallway trying to get in and they can't get in because the rooms are all full. They, they, they all got keys and the key is insulin. They can't get in the room. You got to clear people out of the room. How do you do it? You got to build up a burn in the muscle. That's how you clear the glycogen. And you get people out of the room so that the doors can open. You can get everyone out of the hallway. You can get all that sugar into the muscle. Yeah. So it's like resistance training is necessary and they've actually found a positive correlation between people that diabetics or pre-diabetics that do resistance training, their insulin sensitivity, their resistance goes down, sensitivity goes up because they're creating a vacuum inside that muscle so that it can, fu- it can actually function properly. This is the beauty of this is where exercise helps truly improve your insulin. It, it'll improve insulin sensitivity. Interesting. Yeah. What do you, how do you feel about that, Dr. Hurst? Absolutely. You, yeah, you've I'd seen say the mind. thing that is missing most in uh, people that I see that are concerned about their heart health, their, their weight, their blood pressure, uh, the thing that is going to be most impactful that they're not doing or not considering is strength training. I, almost inevitably. Like I'm, all, I'm surprised, actually, when I see somebody – uh, and, 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 you know, everybody's different. Like some people are eating pretty well. Some people are, you know, sleeping well. Some people got their stress down. Some people, they're not, they're not drinking too much, <laughs> although that seems more and more rare these days. But uh, the, the thing that is almost universal is they're not strength training. And I, it's one of the most important factors that I emphasize to them is how to, you know, the, the, the benefits of that. I mean, it's not just in treating insulin resistance as well. Like as an anti-aging uh, intervention, I can't think of anything that's more effective than that. Like what is old aging? Like what does old mean? Well, it's not just a number. It's a, you're getting frail, right? Not able to be functional, not able to do the things that you were doing when you were younger. And a lot of those reasons you're getting stiffer, And you're getting you're losing muscle mass, you're losing strength. And so battling that, like I I will tell you, as as, at 56 years of age, uh, I'd say one of my highest priorities in my health is maintaining 
Uh, and even if I could build a little muscle mass, like that's the thing that I think about all the time. You brought up those, those other three really major points. Can we talk about high blood pressure, hypertension, and what are a few things that, that our listeners can do about it right now to start to improve their hypertension or their high blood pressure if they do have it? So high blood pressure I, is a critically important issue. Like I, I said earlier, 46% of adults have that more than half do not have their blood pressure controlled. So more than half of the people that have high blood pressure don't have it controlled. And we, we kind of minimize it, right? Cause everybody has it. No, but you know, my doctor didn't really make that big of a deal about it, but uh, hypertension kills 1100 people a day, preventable deaths a day from high blood pressure. It's the second leading cause of heart disease or the leading cause of stroke. Like it, this is a devastating health problem that we know exactly how to treat. Like we don't need to invest another dime in research to know how to effectively treat blood pressure, but we're not doing that. So I would say, you know, the, the important things that I emphasize to my patients who come in with newly diagnosed type high blood pressure, or I've just seen them and blood pressure is their issue. Uh, number one, up to about 75% of blood pressure control is lifestyle related, meaning that if they are more active, if they eat better, if they lose weight, uh, then they are going to improve their blood pressure. And for many of them, they can get an opportunity to certainly lower their blood pressure medication, but maybe even get off of it. So, you know, about 25% of people have a genetic predisposition to high blood pressure. Uh, that's just the way, you know, their, their genes are. But even in that, lifestyle is so critically important in, in uh, managing their blood pressure. I'd also say that uh, the hidden causes of high blood pressure, the things that I, you know, go over with people, number one, sleep apnea, uh, wildly common, uh, wildly underdiagnosed. Lots of people don't know that they have sleep apnea. Uh, that's a prominent driver of high blood pressure. Um, and then also, uh, alcohol, you know, uh, most, some people don't understand that even moderate levels of alcohol on a regular basis can be a driver for high blood pressure for people. Uh, but then medications, uh, do we have really effective medications with very low side effects? Uh, and, uh, they're inexpensive, they're generic. They, they, they don't cost very much. Um, but people need to take them for them to work. And that's a common problem is that, you know, I understand. I don't want to take medications. I don't want you to take medications if you don't need it. But more importantly, I don't want to miss that opportunity to prevent a future heart attack or stroke uh, if we don't have your blood pressure under control. Can I ask you guys a question? Where do supplements and herbs and, you know, some of the natural approaches to blood pressure, heart health, where do some of those things come into play, Dr. Hurst? Yeah. So, so uh, a common question, like more than half of my patients are taking supplements and, and the answer is a challenging one. Uh, I think that there's, I, I think a three camps of people, like there's the people that I see and they're on, you know, 50 or 75 different supplements and they don't really know what they they're doing for them or anything, but they just want to take lots of supplements. And then there's the people usually in medicine, and, and frankly, I used to be one of them that say, oh, well, they're all a waste of time. They're all just expensive urine is the, you know, <laughs> is, is the common refrain. I, I don't think either one of those are the right approach. What I do is a more thoughtful uh, approach around supplements. And so, you know, the challenge of supplements are, are several fold. Number one, um, 
the, the, most of them don't have great research like placebo controlled randomized trials that show benefit. For example, omega three fatty acids like that used to be you know fish oil. That that used to be the that in fact at one time the American Heart Association gave their strongest recommendation for people at high risk of heart disease to take omega three fatty acids. Uh, but subsequent research studies have not supported that in the research study. Now, that does not mean that it's not potentially beneficial for the individual, though. Number two, you have to be really careful about the source of the supplement that you're taking. We have, you know, several studies where they've looked at, you know, what's in the supplements. And it's just absolutely frightening to recognize that, you know, even in big name manufacturers or big name uh, retailers like GNC and Walgreens and Walmart, uh, the New York, uh, the New York attorney general's office looked at 85 supplements and like 70 plus percent of them didn't even have the ingredient in them that they said they had on the label. Really? So you gotta be really careful, make sure that you're getting your supplement from a reputable source. But what I do personally, and what I recommend to my patients is to do a trial of a supplement, get it from a reputable source know what you're looking for from, you know, the benefit of that and then test it. And and if you see that benefit, then hallelujah, that's, 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 that's great. And that's, would be something that you probably want to continue to take. But if you're not seeing the benefit, then I have a hard time justifying the cost and the potential risk. I mean, we all know that anything that we take can have potential adverse effects uh, and so I, I think a more thoughtful approach to supplements would be in most people's best interest. Yeah, because you must get it on the weight loss side all the time, right? Hey, should I take this? Hey, should I pop this pill? Hey, could I take this? And will I, you know, drop an extra 40, right? Always. All, I mean, I probably get that more than anything else because everyone's looking for the magic pill, magic right? Pill. <laughs> you yeah. better believe it. So, And, and the answer is always, it's always, and nobody likes it. It depends. Yeah, <laughs> it depends. And, well, and, and that's the thing that we're kind of talking about here is that we, we have to the, 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 we have to say more. It depends. Right. We, we can't do. just throw out these truths that are universal because they're not universal truths anymore for folks. It seems that's that's just it. And, and Dr. Hurst brought up some great points. Also, it's like, hey, are you sure you're actually getting that is the, the amount that they say that they're giving you? Are you even getting that ingredient at all? And by the way, based on your biochemistry, is that ingredient going to be good for you? Is it going to give you the results that you're looking for? It depends. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, but I, I, I love also what he said. He said. Get it from a reputable source where there's, you know, purity, potency, there's quality, there's a, it's a good delivery mechanism and see if it works. Sometimes, sometimes it's just, you got to just try it and see. And sometimes if you really, you focus on body awareness, a lot of times you can feel a difference. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, there could be some placebo involved there. <laughs> Plenty, but. Well, Doc Hurst, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. I knew you were going to be excellent and you exceeded that expectation. So thank you. No, it's truly my pleasure. Like, I love the work that both of you are doing. And, you know, to get an opportunity to chat with you and share ideas and and with the goal of helping people like that, that makes my day. So thank you so much for the invitation. Perfect. Great conversation. And you can find Dr. Robert Todd Hurst at healthspanmd.com in case you'd like to make that connection. But yeah, how much of a light bulb is that for so many people who are like, they've tried a million things and they didn't even consider 
the fact that it could be insulin resistance. Absolutely. And, and, uh, not, and beyond just insulin resistance, I hope everyone listening got a handful of takeaways of different things that we can start to do, different tactics to employ into our lives for a better quality of life. Amen to that. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we're going to keep this summer light today. Let's end with something kind of fun. Uh, how about a round of Would You Rather? <laughs> yeah, let's go. We haven't played in a while. Just, just keep them appropriate. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, I will. I will. Rid, rid, question number one, and for anybody listening, we'd love to hear what you think too. Would you rather punch a wall full force hmm. or get punched in the chest. Oh, okay. Have you ever punched a wall full force? Yes. And did you hit the stud? Uh, I never hit the stud, but I definitely was met with a lot of resistance. <laughs> so, so I, yeah, I've, and split I, open my hand. Oh buddy. I was going to ask how the whole thing, how it worked mm. out for you. Um, I have hit a stud before and it is the worst feeling in the world. It's the worst thing in the world. Especially yeah. if you, you know, the, they've got the whole saying when it comes to your four knuckles, if you make a fist and you look at your knuckles, the first two, which would be like your index finger and your middle finger, there's a saying, these hurt you. And then if it's your ring finger and your pinky finger, those two knuckles, these, the, these hurt me. And so when you're punching something, be sure to punch with those first two big knuckles. Yeah. Don't punch with the small knuckles. Oh, so yeah, when, when I punched a wall, guess what? Yeah, I, I hit with the two small knuckles and I busted both those bones. So, so would um, you rather punch a wall full force or get punched in the chest? I think I'd take a hit shot in the chest, actually. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. If I'm going to take the wall punching only because, and I it's weird to bring this back to Dr. Robert Todd Hurst, but he actually did an episode uh, on his own podcast about, um, who was that football player? Oh, oh, yeah. Hamlin? Oh, my gosh, from the Buffalo Bills, <laughs> yeah. shot in the chest, yeah. and he, like, almost died. He had a cardiac Oof. event because of it. Hold on, I'm having second thoughts I about know, my answer right? now. Yeah. I mean, because who knows? I'm punching a wall. I'm punching a wall. I think I might punch the wall. You know what, though? Just remember, these two hurt you. These two hurt the wall. These two hurt me. Unless I can choose the person who punches me in the chest. Yes. Ruby, come punch punch me in the chest, kiddo. (laughs) All right, let's end with one one that's kind of funny. Are you coming? Oh, she came over to punch him in the chest. Okay, go ahead. Oh, that was easy. You got off. You got off easy, man. That was very sweet. You got off easy. All right. (laughs) Last one. Would you rather bathe in salad dressing or shower in barbecue sauce? Well, it's summer season, so... um, I don't know. That that doesn't help me. What inappropriate would you rather? Um, I guess guess I'd rather bathe in salad dressing. I mean, it... Yeah. I don't want either because they're sticky. Yeah. I mean, it would it would feel pretty wild though. Actually, like swimming in salad dressing. Think about it. What kind? It would have to be I don't know ranch, ranch? or something. Like I don't that's know. where my head goes. I know that's where my head went too. But yeah. if it was like a vinaigrette, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I take the the bath and salad dressing. You're going bath how, and how salad dressing. Yeah, I think I am too. Uh, yeah, I think I am too. Because the barbecue <laughs> sauce, like all I'm thinking about is, like I went the other night, I went and had ribs, right? And you get the barbecue sauce, you get it all over your fingers. Oh, yeah. And then yeah, you're doing the thing where you look at your fingers, yeah, yeah. but then they're still sticky. Uh, yeah, yes they are. And then that's when you need to implore the little wet nap, yeah. that they, the moist <laughs> towelette that they give you. Exactly. The moist towelette, yes. <laughs> to get yourself back oh, up to, to nine. 
non-stick status. Yes, yes. So, okay, so we're both bathing in salad dressing. I think so. Right, fair enough. That's the plan. Is, uh, I don't know if this is an appropriate way to end the podcast, but we're going to. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's wrap it up. That's great. Oh. Well, we hope you're enjoying your summer. We hope that you're enjoying the I Needed That podcast. Please do everything you can to let other folks know that we're out here. We're doing this work. We'd love to have them join and be a part of the fun that we've got going on every single week. Yes. Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, until next time. 